Hello and welcome to Short Briefings on Long-Term Thinking. Thanks for joining us. I'm Malcolm Borthwick, Editor of Intellectual Capital at Bailey Gifford. The personal finance pages are dominated by discussions about whether the investment cycle has moved from growth to value investing. To provide a crude definition, value investors buy stocks that are cheap relative to their earnings and potential, whereas growth investors target stocks expected to grow rapidly with higher valuations. That's in recognition of their long-term potential. So these are two neat categories, but are they helpful for investors? To discuss this, I'm joined in our Edinburgh studio by Malcolm McCall, Deputy Manager of the Monks Investment Trust and Manager of the Global Alpha Growth Fund and the Global Alpha Paris Aligned Fund. Malcolm is also Joint Senior Partner at Bailey Gifford. But before we start our conversation, some important information. Please remember that as with all investments, your capital is at risk and your income is not guaranteed. Malcolm, welcome to the podcast. And I think this is the first time that we've had two Malcolms in the studio. So it's great to have you on Short Briefings on Long-Term Thinking. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks very much indeed. I'm sure there are different witty uh, aspects to to the double Malcolm, but I I can't quite think of them myself. (laughs) Um, Bailey Gifford is often described as a growth investor. Would you describe Bailey Gifford as a growth investor? Yeah, absolutely. So what we're trying to do at Bailey Gifford is to identify businesses with the ability to grow their underlying profits and cash flows very meaningfully over long periods of time. What we're trying to do is, is identify these businesses, the wealth creators of the future. That, that's, what, that's, that's an underpinning to what we're, we're doing philosophically. And is there an element of the growth versus value debate that is unhelpful? Yeah. So right at the top, when you were explaining, you know, this this divide between growth and value, it, it almost gets my sort of uh, my heckles up a little bit. I, I, for a long time, I've felt that the uh, the divide that people like to 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 put down between growth and value is a little bit unhelpful. It's a bit artificial, and actually, increasingly, I'm, I'm of the mind that it can it's actually quite a dangerous thing, or it's quite a limiting thing. So to explain that a little bit, you know, wh- what we're trying to do is to identify businesses. Yes, where there is growth, but it's got to be growth in value. Um, So there's no point in a business growing without uh, the underlying margin structures or the returns on the capital being there to support higher valuations into the future. Um, And what I think happens an awful lot of time is that people uh, like to pigeonhole you into one section of of either this growth area or this value area. And that can be very limiting. That can be very limiting in terms of stopping your flexibility as an investor. So there are different types of growth companies. um, And some of them will be very high growth in nature. Some will be more stalwart like compounding businesses. And I like to have the ability to go to both of those areas and to look for mispriced growth over long periods. And give me a couple of examples of stocks that fit into that style and tell me why. Well, two examples as you're asking for there, I'll actually give you from businesses that we've owned for a long period of time for the clients that I'm involved with uh, over a decade, let's say. Um, the first one would be Amazon. So Amazon's a business, you know, going back to your earlier points with regards to the divide between growth and value, it's a business which has always commanded, or for very long periods has commanded you know, very high 
uh, near-term multiples on its earnings, on its sales, and such like. It's it's never really been categorised as, as as a value stock, let's say. Um, but you know, it's a business which we think has has long been misunderstood, or certainly in its formation years, it was extremely un, uh, misunderstood. And what I mean by that is, people were were very uh, narrow in their thinking around Amazon. They didn't understand the, the dynamism involved in the business. They didn't understand the way in which it was going to be able to build out into new areas. So, expanding from the core of its retail offering into lots of different different categories, uh, the way in which it was moving international, what it was able to do with regards to its expansion into media. And then obviously in more later years, what it's been able to achieve with its web services offering. These are all things that people really didn't see coming or people were, were limiting themselves from seeing. I also think that Amazon's an example of where people felt that uh, the margin uh, structures were always going to be quite limited. And of course, they, they've proven that to be completely wrong. So what we were doing when we first invested in that business is we were, we were paying you know, one cent in the dollar for the assets. So you can look at this and say, well, yeah, it was a growth investment. Yes, absolutely it was. But in many regards, of course, it was also a value investment, perhaps the best value investment we've ever made. Um, so that's, again, a, an example of where the, that divide is perhaps somewhat um, artificial in nature. It, it was mispriced growth. Um, a separate example uh, would be a very different business, that being Anthem, which is a healthcare insurance uh, company in the United States. Um, if you're if you're a sort of a UK listener, you think of Bupa, but just at a much much grander scale, let's say. And I like to think of of, of Anthem as being almost like a a, a stealth growth stock. Uh, it's a business which has never really been seen as go go growth, let's say, uh, but it has compounded its profits at ten percent per annum over the past ten years. So roughly double the market growth rate. So it's a fantastic growth business. You know, one of my colleagues who, who you knew, know well, Spencer, who, who uh, co-manages a number of the funds that I'm involved with, he likes to describe uh, Anthem as, as, as like a, it's like a small car with a large engine. And what he means by that is that you don't, you don't realise that it's there until it accelerates away from you at the lights. And owning businesses like this, which are underappreciated as, the, as, as growth companies, again, that can make you huge returns over time if you're patient with them. Rarely has there been so much interest paid to monthly inflation figures. Looking at the December figures for the UK, inflation up 5.4% year on year, highest in nearly 30 years in the US, even higher, 7%, close to a 40-year high. These are both year-on-year figures. There is some concern about how inflation will feed through to interest rates and therefore asset prices. What's your reading of this, Malcolm? Well, I think that this is colouring an awful lot of people's thinking today, um, and, and actually understandably so, because we haven't had uh, a period of, of significant inflation for such a long time. Uh, and of course, we've been living through a period of, of, of uh, interest rates going down, not up. Um, so I, I think it is, it's, it's quite understandable that people are, are, are a little bit worried about this. Um, but my take is is that you know whilst we can we can choose to fret about uh, the impact on asset values and, and we understand of course that higher interest rates theoretically lead to uh, lower prices or lower valuations let's say on equities um, that actually that the primary thing we need to be focused on again is the operational performance of individual assets 
So it's, you know, the, the value that's been created at businesses like Amazon or Anthem that we've just been talking about, the, the dominant factors there have been the growth in those companies. It's not been the way in which people have attached valuation multiples set by different frameworks uh, relating to interest rates. So we need to continue to, to focus on the bottom-up aspects of looking at businesses and thinking about which companies can just burst away through expectations, accepting that, you know, again, the current mood of the market is one whereby people are a little more nervous. And how does inflation affect the companies that you invest in? So that, that's a very interesting one. So, you know, we've, we've actually done a considerable amount of work on this and going, going back quite some time, we actually started doing work on, on this theme, you know, several years ago. And what, what we, we focus on is, again, the, 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 the impact on operational performance of the assets of, of the individual companies. And what we're looking at is, you know, the extent to which businesses are able to cope with a more inflationary environment. And the good news for ourselves is that the vast bulk of the businesses that we are invested in for clients uh, are ones which are asset light in nature. Uh, they're very scalable. They typically have large margin profiles, you know, good margin profiles. Uh, and they're businesses which typically will have good pricing power. So I think that our, our assets are actually well set up to cope with a more inflationary environment. Now, in the short term, how people will value those businesses is a different matter. And of course, you know, th- there will be times when macro elements of people's thinking will, will, will pressurise you know, sets of companies within the market. But again, that's not what we dwell on. We, we, we dwell on the operational aspects of the companies and we think very carefully about how those businesses might look several years out from now. And that's something that we must be rigorous with and, and we must be true to. And we've talked a lot about growth and value, but what I'm interested in is how you approach investing. So I think that, uh, you know, again, you know, again, backing up a little bit, you know, the, the, there's this sort of core aspect to, to my personal thinking, which is about, you know, the compounding of growth over long periods of time and how that's pivotal for, for value creation uh, or wealth creation. I'd also say, though, I think very considerably about uh, uh, aspects of change within the investment landscape. And I think that that's something which is important for this broader framing of the discussion relating to growth and value. Uh, again, it's quite important, I think, for, for, the, for the framing of what's going on with regards to the inflationary environment as well. So I, I think that, you know, the past sort of 10 or 15 years, a lot of people think that uh, growth-related assets, let's say, for, to, for, for the sake of shorthand, have performed well uh, because we've been in a, in a declining interest rate environment. I think that's grossly unfair. I think that there is an element of that which will have played through into valuations. But the, 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 that's completely overwhelmed by the fact that we've seen some enormously successful businesses bursting through because of change. Um, so if you're thinking about this, you know, what, what, what am I talking about with regard, you know, what, what, what's the big picture here? Um, you know, we, we've seen an enormous uh, digital revolution, which you can really track back to the advent of the internet, you know, 20, 25 years ago. Uh, and that's led to an, a huge ripple effects. It's, it's led to uh, the, 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 the emergence of these fantastic platform companies. So the sort of consumer facing aspects like the Googles, the Amazons we've been talking about, the Facebooks in the United States, uh, more recently, the likes of Shopify. And if you take it through to Asia, the likes of Tencent or Alibaba, perhaps. But you've also seen things moving beyond that and the ripple effects and, and the impacts coming uh, into areas 
like the semiconductor market, which are you know sort of really helping to to build out these types of digital infrastructures. Um, I also think that the, the change has been driven enormously by what's been going on with the re-emergence of Asia, uh, and in particular the, the sort of the rebirth as as a, as a economic superpower of China. And you can think about the ripple effects there coming through in areas as simple as you know an investment we've got with regards to AIA, one of the big life insurance companies across Asia. So the benefits of the wealth creation coming through there in terms of what's going on with regards to, to that particular company. So the change that is being driven is enormously important for new businesses coming through. And I think that what people often forget is that um, that change is not necessarily over. So I think that we, we we're actually at a point whereby in certain areas the change is going to accelerate. And that fills me with a huge amount of optimism with regards to what we can see next. And I'd much rather be involved in businesses that are on the correct side of that change rather than businesses which are perhaps, you know, optically cheap or lowly valued, which are, are on the wrong side of that change. Give me an example of a, a company or, or a sector that's staying ahead of change. If you're looking at it from the high level, some of the areas I'd be most interested in just now with regards to change would be energy. I think the energy transition is a huge theme uh, you know, over, the, over the forthcoming years. Uh, I'd also say education. To, to my mind, it's, been, uh, it's, it's hugely surprising that education hasn't seen disruption from digitization. But it also centre in perhaps most, m- most, mostly within the healthcare sector, let's say. Um, so I think that healthcare is offering huge amounts of opportunity for the for the next ten to twenty years, and that's because we're, we're seeing this fascinating sort of um, uh, collision, let's say, between uh, what's going on with regards to the availability of data coming from you know gene sequencing. Uh, the likes you know, being powered by the likes of Illumina, which we invest in, um, and the availability of, of computational power, all of that coming together, and, and the rapid movement of of of, of that section of, of of the arena, with the sort of slower moving aspects of biology. So how this all plays together into the future, I think, is going to be extremely exciting. And one of the sort of the takeaway points that I I, I had from a recent uh, meeting with Stefan Blanself from Moderna, the vaccine business, was the fact that he was explaining to us that uh, he felt that in terms of looking towards new treatments, the treatments of the future, uh, he was viewing this as being as much a software and coding issue, a coding problem, as he was a biology one. And that's something which which really sort of you know, tweaked my interest or, or you know, it took me to a point whereby I was thinking, wow, this really could be way beyond what people are currently thinking of in terms of the potential impact. Uh, and, you know, perhaps Moderna is not going to be the last business that bursts through with this different attitude. I think, in fact, it probably won't be. I think there's probably going to be a lot more value to be created in this area, again, because of the synthesis between uh, computational power, the availability of data uh, and, and biology. So that's a sector and a company on the right side of change. But we will also see companies and sectors on the wrong side of change. And that brings to mind a phrase from one of your colleagues about the four most dangerous words in investment reversion to the mean, which is the concept that the valuation of a stock often might revert to its average, which is often not a great starting point. Yeah, so there there are lots of dangerous terms in, in investment, but I think that yeah, I think you're correct that uh, that reversion to the mean is is right up there. So I'm embarrassed to admit the fact that I studied economics at university, and there were lots of different concepts which uh, were, were peddled to us, which were were, were you know, completely incorrect or now, now seem quite silly in retrospect. 
Uh, but one of the most silly, perhaps, was that of the steady state. And I think that mean reversion uh, and the whole sort of the, the concept of mean reversion relies upon steady state thinking. The world is going to be roughly the same. And therefore, if you buy something 20 or 30 percent cheap relative to a long term average, you will do well. Well, of course, the world isn't like that. The world is dynamic. The world does change. And if you're you know, buying a business which is on the wrong side of that change, let's say, you know, pe- you know taking it back three, four, five, even 10 years ago, you know, hardline retailers, uh, you're not going to do well. You know, just because the business is looking relatively cheap, uh, you're actually on the wrong side of, of the discussion. That industry is going to decline and it's going to do very poorly for you. Taking that to today, what would I be you know, more more worried about as an investor? I mean, where would I not wish to be to be putting lots of assets? Well, I would say, again, big aspects of, of, of carbon intensive uh, industries, uh, particularly within the energy sphere, let's say. Uh, I'd also be a little bit nervous about what's going on with regards to the broader banking industry. Now, I get the fact that today people think that the, the environment's a little bit easier for them with, with rates going up, but these businesses are getting eaten alive uh, by fintechs. Um, and I think that the, the longer term outlook for these companies and their, their ability to grow their earnings power over a 10-year basis is significantly impaired. And we've talked a lot about change on this podcast, Malcolm. A question I often ask guests on the podcast is what has the pandemic changed your mind about? Well, you, you gave me a heads up that you would ask this question, and you know I, I struggled with it a little bit. And what what I, what I might do rather rather, rather naughtily is actually reframe it a little bit and say, you know, what 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 what, uh, what will I be taking differently away from my thinking uh, after after this this very odd and difficult period that we've all been living through? And I actually think that it's it's reinforced uh, my belief in, in ingenuity. It's reinforced my uh, beliefs relating to the power of innovation. Uh, and particularly what I'm referencing there is that the fact that, you know, when we look back on this very difficult period with the huge, you know, sort of human impacts in 10 years time, actually the will, the will have been a triumph of science. And what we've seen with regards to the way in which the medical community and uh, the broader healthcare community have come together to uh, not just provide uh, treatments and the way in which we look after people, it's the, it's this vaccine aspect which is, appears to be getting us out of out of the pandemic, uh, and the ability to produce that vaccine in such a short window of time, that's an incredible triumph of science. The triumph of science. That's a great positive note to end on. Always like to end on a positive note. And we've covered lots of different topics in this podcast. Malcolm, thanks for joining us in short briefings on long-term thinking. Thanks for having me. And thanks for investing your time in short briefings on long-term thinking. You can find our podcast at bailegifford.com forward slash podcasts. Or subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify or on TuneIn. And if you'd like to find out more about Bailey Gifford's views on the growth and value debate, please check out the discussion page on our website at baileygifford.com forward slash growth or value. And if you're listening at home, you're listening in the car, wherever you're listening, stay well. And we look forward to bringing you more insights in our next podcast. 